0: This podcast is primarily recorded on the traditional territories of the Huron-Wendat and Haudenosaunee peoples in Katarakwe, or Kingston, by its colonial name. We center the rightful stewards of this land in order to unsettle our fight for collective liberation. Hi, welcome to Queer Muslim Resistance, a podcast from OPR Kingston. I'm one of your hosts, Maha, and today I have the lovely pleasure of speaking with Samaya a queer Muslim based in Toronto or Toronto by its colonial name. We talk about Islams that work for us and what it looks like to undo intergenerational traumas through revolutionary practices. Content note, this episode does feature mentions of threats of sexual violence and death. Before we begin today's episode, I just have a few announcements. We've compiled a queer Muslim resource guide We're always looking to grow and gather as many resources to best represent the endless possibilities of being queer and Muslim. So far we have educational resources, books, poetry collections, artists, blogs and blog posts, podcasts, videos, documentaries, movies, academic resources, Instagram accounts, and links to other existing resource compilations. We're forever indebted to all those who have helped us collect resources over the years. We'd love to keep it a community effort. So if you have anything you'd like to add, or if you have any institutional access to some of the academic resources we weren't able to put into the Google Drive, please shoot us an email at queermuslimresistance at gmail.com or DMS on Instagram. There's also a forum-based website created by a queer Muslim medical student, where queer folks can share their experiences with healthcare for healthcare practitioners to rethink their practices and complicities within colonial medical systems that cause so much harm. We're also super excited to promote Tarif a queer Muslim reading group run by Hibba Ali. The first meeting in November focuses on our definitions of queerness in terms of language, expression, and embodiment. Make sure you enter your email on the Substack website to receive updates. The links to these can be found in our description for the episode and in our Instagram bio. So um, to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So like your pronouns, your background, where you're based, or whatever else you'd like to
1: share? My name is May Kamisa. I'm a gender fluid lesbian in Toronto. My pronouns are she and they, and I'm in my fourth year at York University for children, childhood and youth studies, and concurrent education.
0: Nice, nice. What do you like most about your program?
1: Um, I really like it because I'm doing childhood research, and I think that that's really fascinating. There's not enough childhood research on children of color. Most of the research, as all research, is done on white people. So I'm really interested in doing more research on specifically Muslim children. So I think that that's really, really fun. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited to talk with you today about all our shared experiences and all our differences, too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, what would what did your introduction to Islam look like?
1: My introduction to Islam is, honestly, it's difficult to say what the intro was, yeah. because I can't really imagine what my childhood would be without Islam, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, my house was definitely like, that was the house that Friday night halakas would be at. The imam would come and like everyone would be chatting all night. We would like sleep over at the masjid for Tarawi so we can get all of our prayers. In, um, like my mom even homeschooled my brothers and I up up until high school, so we wouldn't be indoctrinated with Western values. Wow. I had a very Islamic childhood.
0: Wow, <laughs> tell me more about that. Like homeschooling, what was that like?
1: Homeschooling was, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Um, personally, mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't see it as a good experience. I think that there was just more of a focus on. The concept of deen over dunya, um, mm-hmm. I think that Muslims often get very into the idea that we are only here as a test. Like, why does, and my, my mom's belief in it was, why are you learning like English and math and science and French when you could be learning about the Prophet? And I think that that can be very detrimental to a child's education and And often to a child's like socialization um, Mm -hmm. process, you know, like it's important to be around other kids. It's important to be around other cultures, other religions. Like the only people that I was really around as a child were other Muslims. Um, Mm -hmm. And even like when I started high school, it was a very Muslim based high, like it wasn't an Islamic school, um, but the community was very, was very Brown, very Muslim. And honestly, I'm grateful for that because it, it really gave me a sense of belonging but Mm -hmm. I think I definitely see it in the way that sometimes I'm uncomfortable interacting with people who are not Muslim who are people who are not South Mm -hmm. Asian yeah
0: that's so interesting like so were you raised Sunni I'm assuming yes yes okay um what was your experience like learning about Islam like what was what called to you the most when your mom taught you
1: my experience learning Islam was very guilt-based. Um, it was very much like we do good things so we can go to Jenna, um, yeah. not because we want to do good things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I never felt a connection to Islam, like in my childhood, yeah. um, in my teenage years. Yeah. Honestly, I, I just didn't understand the profound sense of calmness that our parents got from the mm-hmm. presence of Allah. It just mm-hmm. seemed like a chore. And yeah. honestly, it I couldn't really understand how he um, or honestly, I use they, them pronouns for God now, um, but I never understood how they were the most merciful, the most loving when they clearly did not love people of color. They clearly did not love women. They clearly did not give the same protection mm-hmm. to us that they gave to other people.
0: hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you um, had any experiences reinterpreting your faith to make it more about you and like how you believe in the world and your position
1: in the world for sure for sure like I I think that the reason that I can identify as Muslim now and the reason that I haven't chose I haven't chosen to left to leave Islam is the fact that I realized that my Islam can look different than my mom's Islam my Islam looks different from your Islam like it's all of ours is are so completely individualistic I Mm -hmm. think that too often Muslims judge people who cherry pick religion. Um, that's usually the term that they use. But in reality, how is Islam ever going to be sustainable if you don't make it your own? You know,
0: I love that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Like yeah. there's there's so many ways to find Allah other than praying, especially I think as queer Muslims, you have to really understand the trauma that we have gone through in our childhood and how the practices of traditional Islam can be very triggering for us. Praying can be an incredibly triggering process. Fasting can be incredibly triggering. Yeah. Um, and there's so many other ways that you can do it.
0: Yeah. What are some of those ways like that you practice?
1: Ways that I practice is spending time in nature, finding Allah oh. in nature, finding Allah while talking to the trees, um, while spending time sitting, standing on the grass without my shoes. That is how I find Allah.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's so beautiful. Like, I think for me as well, like, I haven't prayed the proper way in like, a very long time. (laughs) Even though my mom every Friday, she's like, make sure you pray. It's Friday today. And I'm like, thanks, mom. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> but um, for me, like one thing I've found um, is like writing down my prayers helps because I'm able to like go back and like see what I was thinking. Like I have a written record of like what it is, like my thoughts, my fears, my feelings, my desires. And like, it's just like a really neat way. Also, like just the tangible act of like writing mm-hmm. things down is so instrumental to like manifesting things. Right. So yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And I also feel like we separate the concept of dua and prayer so much. Mm-hmm. When, like both ways you're talking to God. I love yeah. making dua. I love talking to God before I sleep. Mm-hmm. Like that makes so much sense for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually getting down on a prayer mat, getting down in sujood, like doing that five times a day. I don't know if that works for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, I remember at least for me when I was growing up, I felt a lot of guilt and shame about like not making the five prayers a day. Mm -hmm. Like I was just like, I'm the worst Muslim ever. And then like, um, we were always told as kids, you know, the two angels on your one side, the good angel and the bad angel. And they're always writing down your bad deeds and they will know everything that you're doing. that's so bad. And just like this constant cycle of like, am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Am I meeting the ideal? Like, But I don't know, I guess an interesting way to look at it would be like, it's an ideal for a reason and you're not supposed to reach that ideal, right? But Mm -hmm. I don't know if that works for me either.
1: Yeah, I think it, it puts so much expectations on you so early in your life. The whole concept of this is a test. Terrifying. Life is not yours to enjoy. Life is yours to please. Yeah, yeah. So, how would you describe
0: your relationship with yourself and with the divine?
1: Um, my relationship with myself has been a difficult journey for sure. Mm. For so many years, um, I struggled with various mental health issues um, PTSD, anxiety, depression, the works. Um, <laughs> and I think that that makes your relationship with yourself very difficult. And honestly, it very recently came to realization for me that for so long I was blaming my difficult relationship with myself on things such as my weight, such as Mm my acne, such as like physical appearances, when truly what I realized is the biggest missing puzzle piece was the gender binary that I was attached to, was Mm -hmm. the heteronormative values that I was attached to. Um, I look back at the person that I was a year ago and the life that I had before this and the hyper femininity that I forced myself to have like, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't be able to leave the house without false lashes I always had the long acrylic nails like I was I would like chase men even though I knew that I didn't I wasn't attracted to them because so much of my self-value and so much of my self-worth came from how attractive am I to men because um, that's that's how you convince yourself that you're a woman you
2: right. know yeah yeah
1: um so since then since letting go of the gender binary of heteronormative expectations of me my relationship with myself has gone significantly better I feel Mm -hmm. like now I'm at the point where I'm seeing a version of myself I never really thought that I was able to see and never a version of myself I didn't think I would get to the point of Mm -hmm. um so we're working on it. I think that we're doing good.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And like, what's your relationship to the divine or what's beyond the mundane?
1: To the divine as in Allah? Yeah.
0: Or like even
1: <laughs> not. I think that I switch between be- like the belief of the, of both of them are still there but I switched between using like a law in the universe mm-hmm. um they're both definitely playing parts like they're friends mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> for sure for sure yeah um my relationship with both of them has gotten a lot better um very recently I I think that so essentially I decided to move out of my mom's home a month ago um, so I could live my true self, so I could be here, so I could do this, um, and that was a really terrifying experience for me, especially since, like, I'm the only daughter with four brothers in an immigrant family. Um,
0: wow, well, that's a lot, <laughs> yeah, a lot of pressure.
1: Yeah, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, and it is a lot of pressure to be the emotional stability, the emotional rock mm-hmm. um, in the for emotionless people you know I feel that so hard <laughs> yeah yeah oldest brown girl trauma like it really is real <laughs>
0: you take care of the whole family mediating all the conflicts it's a lot
1: it can be a lot it really yeah. can be um and I basically just took a leap of faith and said I believe that I can do this I'm going to do this and since then I have literally been the happiest person um, I feel like the universe and Allah is, are hugging me so tightly, you know, they're holding me, they know. And like, even the trials and tribulations that have been happening since, I have, I have felt that profound sense of calmness that I envy my, my mom of having with her relationship with Allah. I never understood that profound sense of calmness, because hello, anxiety. Um, but now I feel it. Now I feel them talking to me, I feel their relationship with me. I feel that they, that I am ready for. I am open to my relationship, and they're open to the relationship. um You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've heard the saying: when you take one step forward to Allah, they take like a hundred steps forward to you. Yeah, um, and I think that that's what I fe- I'm feeling recently.
0: I love that. I love that <laughs> a lot. Cause like, for me, I'm still trying to work on getting there, especially okay. because like. I understand that I can make a psalm my own, but at the same time, it's hard to internalize that fact, right? In terms of rereading the scripture and like reading it, reciting it in Arabic, I haven't been able to do that and find the same sense of peace that I did once upon a time.
1: I got the English translation of the Quran and I've Mm -hmm. I've been trying to read that, but I think that we have to be really gentle with ourselves and understand how much pain, um, being in an organized religion has caused us yeah and how the choice to even identify as muslim mm-hmm. is a huge one it would have been so much easier for us to say no i'm i don't want to do this i just want to be a, a a non-religious queer person i just want it the easiness of that
0: yeah it's so hard right because like we can't just or for many people you can't just take away parts of yourself like you said you don't know what your introduction to islam looked like because it's such an ingrained part of you right so like i hate the narrative that like you're supposed to do whatever you want and not care about anybody else because like we all are in communities with our families
1: i i totally understand what you're saying like taking away the 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 intersectionality of Islam is literally impossible first of all your name is Maha my name is Sumeya nobody's going to meet us and be like oh that's a white girl like Thank it's it's impossible we are visible minorities we, our names are our names are Muslim like there's no way that we can take that part away yeah and it's like in your ideology you know yeah. when someone comes to my house they're still going to see the lota in my bathroom oh you know?
0: yeah like oh, yeah yeah <laughs> What intrigues you the most about the process of making religion or spirituality or faith your own?
1: I think what intrigues me is the fact that I think I always thought that there's no way that Islam can be sustainable the way that it is. Mm -hmm. You know? Like we want to be like the prophet so bad, but the prophet did not have the technologies that we did, you know? Like he did not have vaccines, he did not have deodorant, he didn't have the things that I need in my life right now. And I can appreciate and I can appreciate the fact that we can use the stories of the prophets um, as a way to look at where we came from as a Mm -hmm. way to like folk tales, you know, like you can appreciate, I can appreciate the history of Islam. I really can. And I love, I love that I was named after the first female martyr in Islam. I love that my name has that connection and that I can tell my kids the story of her, but I don't know if we should keep it as, Um, literal as we have been you know like religion needs revitalization it needs it looks very different in 2020 than it did back then going
0: back to um reading translations of the quran have you is there anything in particular that you're looking for in those interpretations or like your reinterpretations or um in terms of finding translations to the Quran, like have you thought about that process at all and like what translations or who's doing the translations and what that means for how you interpret them?
1: Uh, I think that the biggest one that we talk about in the queer Muslim community is the city of loot, um, obviously, and trying to like reinterpret what it actually means. Like, are, are they saying that we're, they're killing all of these people because they're gay or are they killing them because they're pedophiles and because they're rapists? Um, I want to believe that it was a misinterpretation and that they were killing them because they are pedophiles and because they are rapists. But I look at the, the English translation of the, the one that I have and it literally does say man sleeping with man. It literally does say like homosexual, like it doesn't say homosexuality, but it says man sleeping with man, you know? Um, and I I'm, I try to keep in mind, like, it's difficult because it's not like I'm talking to God right now. I'm reading a script that is translated by a man. And that script is based on what he thinks and what he wants to say. Yeah. So, I think that I want to believe in the new uh, translations, but at the same time, I think I also have the ability to let go of that part. Um, again, cherry picking. Like it's imp- I think that it's important to be like, you know what? I just don't want to think about that. I just don't want to look at that aspect of Islam, especially because I think that my spirituality includes a lot more than just Islam. But Islam is a very big part of my culture. It's a very big part of the way that I grew up. And that doesn't mean I have to love every single part of it. And I don't think I ever will love every single part of it.
0: That's very true. Yeah, I remember being really frustrated with the, um, you know how it's like in court, you need two women to count Mm -hmm. as a witness versus like one man. And like people would phrase it as like, well I don't know how you can phrase it to not mean what it means right so I just kind of forget about that look away (laughs) right yeah have you heard of the sublime Quran it's an interpret or a translation um by a feminist Islamic scholar um yes and um they go through like everything like all the different Arabic roots and stuff um yeah And like, I haven't actually gotten to that specific part about loot, but Mm -hmm. I know that it's not as, it's more complicated than what a lot of other English translations would say, right? So that's definitely a good resource for anyone who's interested in not just um, shitty patriarchal translations. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm definitely going to look into that. I just wrote that down. I'm excited (laughs) to read. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah so um who are your people my people Mm -hmm. i got so incredibly lucky with my people um i think that especially a lot of my most of my friends are also queer muslims um and i think that that support networks especially has given me first of all the ability to know that we exist Mm -hmm. like when we're kids none of us know that we exist like we think I remember being six years old, being at summer camp and having a crush on this white girl um, and Mm -hmm. being like, I'm the only person who has ever thought this ever. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Yeah. And like, in reality, girl, there's so many of us. Give it a couple of years. Right. (laughs) Um, So I think that that support network has literally been my everything. It has been what made me realize that I am not the only person like this. It has made me realize that there's there's so many of us and we have these like identical experiences. Mm-hmm. We are all literally the exact same and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly beautiful to have a community like this, this niche. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing.
0: How did you access or find your community? Where did you like how? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I help run a Muslim camp, a progressive Muslim camp. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's actually close to you um, in Kingston. Um, oh, okay. It's in like Perth, Ontario. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, it's really, really amazing. It's a progressive Muslim camp it's called Camp Dean. Oh. Um, I have met my people there, like my family mm-hmm. through and through. I've been going there for six years now. I started as a leader in training and then mm-hmm. I was a counselor for a couple of years and now I'm, C- I'm head counselor there um it is so so wonderful to be in a place that is accepting of a different type of Islam that is where I learned mm. that's where I learned um how to make Islam my own that's where I learned that Allah is in the in nature Allah is in the water Allah is in the trees Allah is literally in everything that they have created for us
0: yeah
1: um, and just I honestly recently came out to the general population. I want to say like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Wow. Um,
0: How's that going?
1: This is a very recent thing. It's yeah. going great. It's going great. I came out to my mom in like February and her reaction was like, okay, cool, but we're not going to tell anyone ever. Um and then I moved out <laughs> because of that, and yeah. here we are telling everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Like the the support that I've gotten, insane, especially from my camp people, um, has been has been insane. Um, sorry, going back to your 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 question, how did I meet these people? A lot of the queer Muslims that I've met have been through like the online community as well. I've gotten so much support from the Somali queer people from the, like all types of different Muslim queer people and seeing that they exist, seeing that they're sharing their stories online is the entire reason I am here doing this, being able to say, I can say my full name and say that I'm queer. I'm not worried about what my family is gonna say. I am not worried about the death threats that I will inherently get. Um, So yeah, it's it's been really wonderful so far. Yeah, I
0: think that's really really wonderful. Like I know for a lot of folks, safety is such a huge concern, right? And mm-hmm. like it's so great that you're able to move out and do your own thing and mm-hmm. like, you know, um it's funny cuz my my family had a similar reaction when I told them this summer. Um they were like, "We understand." And then I'm like, "Yeah, so I have a girlfriend." And they're like, "What?" <laughs> so I just find it like I'm uh, glad that I can laugh about it now because, like, while this was happening, so painful, so, so painful. um, How have you navigated your relationship with your parents? Because, like, for me, I, when I came out to them, I sent them, like, a whole bunch of resources. It might have been an overwhelming amount of resources because I don't know if they've looked at them, (laughs) but it was resources on, like, how to be not how to be queer Muslim but like there are queer Muslims I am also Pakistani like and queer and a Muslim like blah 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 like even like a documentary made by like white people about Christians like who had queer kids but like any sort of like reference point yeah I was like please just watch this please just do your do the work so how have you navigated that
1: um, I think that honestly my mom is doing the work and like she she does care I think that I try to be really gentle with her in the the realization that like she has 53 years of homophobia that she has to work through um, and like that's not easy that really really is not easy she is trying and like she's trying to be as supportive as possible I think that her worry in me being out online and um, i guess just out into ge- to the general public is the fact that uh, being out as a queer muslim means getting online hate it means getting death threats it means like i get messages i used to get messages on twitter from like random people being like we have to find someone to rape you so we can you can realize that you like men like insane stuff and i think that a lot of her hesitation of me coming out was because of that she's worried about my safety she's worried about my extended family's reaction and I honestly have to respect that I really do like I know that it's coming from love for, for the most part, part I think that she is as supportive as a queer Muslim could ask for <laughs> um, but it also kind of sucks that like we have to ask for the bare minimum you know like I kind of, I would have liked to have one of those like, oh my gosh, yay, you're gay moms. Mm -hmm.
2: But
1: honestly, I I am grateful.
2: Um,
1: A resource that really helped us was the fact that there is the Queer Affirming Mosque in Toronto, the Unity Mosque that has played a really big role, especially because um, she knows the Imam um, El Farouk there. So that played a really, really big role. And I think that helped her understand what was going on Mm -hmm. a little bit more
0: yeah okay i have two questions for you so one would be i want to know more about this progressive muslim camp and like the work you do with them and then i want to get into like your experiences with unity mosque
1: so okay camp dean first of all um it really is a wonderful place it's my favorite place on earth the fact that we couldn't have it this year because of covid was Heart wrenching, the first year I've ever missed of Camp Dean. Um, but yeah, it's it's truly, truly a wonderful place. I don't think we're. We have, we honestly have talked about queer people at camp before um during like our religious circles. Our, the belief is how are you expected for other people to respect you as a minority if you are not respecting other minorities? You know, like if we're not. We can't preach the love and. The acceptance of Islam if we're not loving everyone. Um, it, it's as simple as that, it truly is, you know. Um, it really is a wonderful place, like I take the role of being, or I take the, the job of being a role model to young Muslim girls so seriously. Um, especially like as people as, as little children of color you need to see the happiness and the success and the love of people who look like you people who have names as unpronounceable as yours to know that it's possible to know that like I can be that happy I can be that successful I can I can love the way that I want to love um, and it's not even like I go around or actually I guess I wasn't really out last the, the last time I was at camp but it's not like I really go around talking about my queerness it's just the fact that I exist as a person and I'm there taking up space I'm t- there taking up a leadership role um and I honestly have had conversations with um some campers there disclosing how they feel about their sexuality um and them the fact that they have that comfort to tell me, the fact that they know this is another queer person that I am able to disclose the secret to, um, is revolutionary. That is something that Muslim kids have never had before. And I take the privilege of being that person so intensely seriously.
0: <laughs> I love that so much. And like, it's so important even for us, especially for anyone of any age to see people like them who are older living their lives just existing right like mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to find a quick excerpt from this poem that I really like so this is actually a poem um, called Daughter of Kali and Ocean by Leah Lakshmi Pyapchna Samarasinha in their collection of poetry "Tonguebreaker." And um, this is just a little stanza that I thought related really well. What is femme adulthood? Is it 20 pretty slits? A pretty boy on my arm? A full-time job and a mortgage just like mama but with pussy? Where are my femme elders? The ones I need to show me how to do this. How to get older as a femme, be no longer girl, be what's somewhere between girl and elder. That thing I guess is called adult. Are they dead? Disappeared? So many things try to kill us femme girls of colour. Do my elders know how to do this either? And then the end of the poem um, is our grown-up femme lives are the gifts unwrapped we promised ourselves as children as we make new families that are something beyond couple, femme families that hold us, families that hold us so much more than our birth families did. We make up our own answer to the questions that plague us and are held in all the ways we desire write ourselves into history just like has been done before and how it's never been done before but how we always dreamed it could be wrapped up like a present we promised ourselves when we were children so I just think that's such a beautiful way of like exploring all the like confusion and the desires to see yourself and like imagining what your futures can look like without even seeing what they look like yet so like emphasizing that power of dreaming if your elders aren't accessible to you just think it's Mm -hmm. a lot of beautiful stuff
1: (laughs) how are you supposed to imagine a future when you've never seen what you've never seen the future that you want to be you know it go it all goes back to like representation and how much more is needed for queer people queer people of color
0: What would you like to bring with you into our radical futures and what would you like to leave behind?
1: My favorite parts of Islam are the parts that if you strip away the cultural expectations, if you strip away um, the patriarchy, if you strip away all of those things and go to the basic core necessities of Islam, Islam is, Islam talks about Taking care of the earth, taking care of those around you. Um, mm-hmm. The concept of if you kill one person, it's killing the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Quran teaches us like how to live life, like you know how to, how much food that you're supposed to eat, like not over not overstuffing yourself, not underfeeding yourself, taking care of yourself physically. It talks about hygiene, and like I think that that's so beautiful that hygiene is such an important part of our religion. Um, so that those are the parts I love about Islam. You know the bare, the core values. Teach me how teaching you how to be a human being, a good human being. In fact, um, that is what I would like to keep the the, the bare necessities. And moving forward, what I want to leave behind is judgment. Like truly, what unites the ummah is the judgment of each other, specifically Sunnis. Um, <laughs> like we just don't need that anymore, and um to for the for the Muslim community to let go of the judgment of queer Muslims would be amazing, life-changing.
0: And like you said before, like even with your mom, that's 53 years of homophobia she's had to unlearn. And like when we think back to like why anti-queer sentiment is so prevalent in our in mainstream Muslim societies, like just undoing the roots of colonialism is Mm -hmm. hard work right like it's gonna take time but we
1: can do it if it's so ingrained into us then it's so ingrained into our our elders you know Um, and it also goes back to like the way that Islam has been taught has been incredibly violent and then if we have trauma from the way that we learned Islam our parents trauma the way that like they were getting beat in madrasa, like their parents' trauma, it just got like, it only got better and better after every generation, if we're dealing with it, like it's insane. Um, so there's just, there's so much to let go of, <laughs> there's so much unlearning that we have to do.
0: So what does believing in like, or believing in practicing in a queer political Islam mean? To I think
1: you? that Islam has always been a political religion. Um, Mm -hmm. Islam has always been about fighting for the underprivileged fighting for the oppressed so Mm -hmm. going into this new generation of Muslims the the um Gen Z Muslims like we are very different from other Muslims for Mm -hmm. sure for sure um this generation of Muslims means no longer ignoring The ongoing issues in Islam, the anti-blackness, the lack of support for women in domestic Mm -hmm. violence situations, the the abuse within Mm -hmm. Islamic schools—we're not ignoring that anymore. Mm -hmm. We're we're talking about it. We're addressing these these Mm -hmm. issues. Um, So a political queer Islam means choosing to fight fights that aren't just yours. We can't just get angry about Islamophobia. We have to get angry about other things. We have to fight for Mm -hmm. specifically like the black Oma, like we we need to do better Mm
0: -hmm. um so how do you practice or manifest towards these queer muslim features in your daily life
1: um i because i work in education i think i think of everything as um the viewpoint of like children um and being someone who's gonna be a teacher I am a huge representation for children. Um, Like Muslim children who are gonna be in my classroom are gonna meet me and know that I'm Muslim from my name um, and know that I'm queer because of the pride flag in the classroom. Um, And that in itself, my existence, my choosing to be here is in fact creating a queer Muslim future, you know? working with Muslim kids and ha- like them having the ability to come out to me and to tell me um, their crush on another girl, that is creating a queer a, a, a queer future. There's literally existing, like that's what I always say, existing as a queer Muslim is is the resistance. That is it, us choosing to stay alive, us choosing to not listen to the thoughts in our head telling us that we don't deserve to be here is the is revolutionary oh yeah unity mosque <laughs> totally yeah so i really like the unity mosque unfortunately when i got involved with them it was already covid time um so i have not been able to visit visit physically um I am on their Facebook page, um, which is such a good resource. I love it. I actually, I was on another podcast called um, the Muslim Gay Podcast. um, And that was a really, really good experience. That's actually what started my whole journey of being open about my story, um, which was insane. Um, So I just use that as a really good resource, a really good tool to see, like, first of all, seeing older queer people is always a really amazing experience for me because i think that queer people we don't really envision our futures longer than the specific amount of time that we thought our time on earth would be done um so seeing older queer people is amazing um specifically older queer Muslims and i think that the unity mosque is really helpful for that i would love to get more involved with them and like that's the first masjid I've ever really felt like I'm com- I'm comfortable here. I'm excited to go here. So yeah, it really is wonderful.
0: Yeah. And like, I know that one of their policies or no policies, but like guidelines or whatever is like, you're able to dress in whatever way that you feel the most comfortable in. And like, I find that such a wonderful practice just because in my own experiences, like, I remember I was wearing jeans and a long cardigan to pray at a mosque during Ramadan, because otherwise I don't really go to mosques. <laughs> but, um, yeah, while prayer had started, a lady tapped me on the back of my shoulder and was like, put this on. It was like they had, like, a box of, like, long skirts. And I, it was because I'm fatter than other people. Like, there was a girl wearing, this like, Some like something very similar to me, jeans and a long cardigan. And my body was just more unacceptable. So I'm really glad that queer affirming and body positive and just in general Mm anti-oppressive, as best as they can be, spaces exist for queer Muslims to just like
1: Mm -hmm. be
0: (laughs) and practice in ways that they feel align most with themselves in the ways that they want Islam to guide them
1: yeah no for sure I mean the whole like concept of modesty in Islam has literally been used to perpetuate anti-fatness that's yeah. literally it like I remember so many times growing up and like I, I I was a chubby kid growing up and like being the chubby brown girl that's a whole other conversation to have um but the whole idea was like you put on all of these layers because nobody should be allowed to see your body. Your body is something to be ashamed of. It is disgusting. But then it's also promoted like you're doing this for Allah. Allah told you that your body is disgusting. Um, And the experience of like the unlearning that you have to do as an adult after that, like this was the first year that I wore a bikini. I'm 21 years old. I was like crying because I'm wearing a bikini. Um, And it's just, it's it's a whole other thing. But yeah, I totally agree. The ability to go to a masjid and wear what you want, insane. I would never be able to go into another masjid wearing mask-presenting clothing or more androgynous clothing that I'm comfortable in. I never feel comfortable doing that in another masjid. You know, I would have to be femme, but the unity mosque is a little bit different. <laughs>
0: So, what would you like any listening queer Muslims to take from your stories?
1: I think that I would like them to take away from this by knowing that just because you're queer and Muslim doesn't mean that you have to sign up for a lifetime of sadness. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to feel these emotions and feel that attraction and ignore it and settle for the gender that you're supposed to be or the gender that you're supposed to be attracted to. We don't have to live a miserable life. We don't have to convince ourselves of it. You can be the person that you want to be, and you can take a leap. Of, you can take a leap of faith, and the universe will hold you tightly. Allah will hold you tightly because that is who you are supposed to be, and that's where you're supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. Is there anything that you'd like to plug for your listeners, or where can people find
1: you? Or- I'm actually in the process of creating um, a little community of my own. Um, It's for GTA-specific queer Muslims um, to share our stories, our art, um, needed fundraisers, just a community for all of us. Um, It's still in the process. So I would follow my personal Instagram to get updates right now, which is at Sumea Kamisa. I'm gonna be posting updates. I'm currently looking for stories and for art Um, that people want to share for so it's gta queer muslims toronto brampton saga all 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 around those um so yeah if you're a gta muslim hit me up share your story
0: Hello, Taylor and Nicole. Hey! Hello! This segment is basically us just kind of debriefing on the conversation that I had with Samaya. Um, I really like how we talked about making Islam our own and I just wanted to kind of emphasize for people that like that doesn't mean that we have to do that alone, right? Like we can make Islam ours together and also make our queer Muslim futures together, like I said before, like I found it really hard to internalize the fact that I can make Islam something that works for me. And so to help me do this, I'm trying to do so within community with other queer Muslims. So this summer, I had the wonderful opportunity of um, participating in a workshop about like we're ritual making and that was super duper awesome. Cause like we were able to like talk about presencing and like come up with affirmations for ourselves and then collab like collaboratively come up with new, a new 99 names of God based on those affirmations that we created. Mm, yeah. um, and it was just such a wonderful experience. Cause like, we were manifesting ourselves into the names of God And so I just found that a wonderful community experience.
2: And it's always nice to make affirmations and in such a beautiful way.
0: Mm -hmm. And yeah, so back to the conversation with Samaya. Um, We touched on like the concept of compulsory heterosexuality without naming it as such. So essentially, do either of you want to take a crack at
2: explaining what that is or how that relates to you? I'm just like... I mean, we live in a heteronormative society, right? So it's this idea that you have to be straight and um, and the idea that the gender binary exists. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, like, it's just so interesting that it manifests in such different ways for such different people and people's different experiences. Because like I said, I think in the first episode, for me, like I was so... Compulsory heterosexuality made me think that like I was gay. I mean, that I was straight until... I had to figure it out that I wasn't straight, right? Like it made me, my whole life, like I didn't have those experiences when I was a kid and always knew. I had a hard journey of trying to figure that out myself when I came to university. What also really resonated with me was um, Samaya's reminder to be gentle with ourselves and with others. And like, I know that we were having this conversation earlier, Nicole, about like, wouldn't it just be so much easier for us to be like, I have my own shit to deal with other people's homophobia or queer phobia or whatever is not my fucking problem. And like, that's true. Like it's not our problem, but, um, at the same time, it's like, we also have to be gentle with the people that we love because if we're not gentle and we're not caring and we're not showing the compassion and love that if they, st- if they're if this is talking about if you still have healthy relationships with your parents and you still want them in your life, because for a lot of people cutting out your family is the right choice for you. But for many people, it's also not because family is so integral to who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, just that whole idea of being gentle, not just with others, but also with ourselves for getting frustrated at other people. Yeah.
2: I think that in us talking about it earlier, also before we recorded this, like, I kind of mentioned that I was like, okay, but like, I mean, you just said it, I'm very much like, I don't want to have to do it. And like, Taylor kind of earlier reiterated what Samaya had said, where it was like, you have to understand how your family grew up. And I'm like, it kind of sometimes I think that like, for me personally, I'm like, okay, but I'm the person that's like, are like I'm the person that's experiencing this so I don't understand why you can't just like let me fucking be a human being but I do forget that you have to acknowledge that like your family's been through shit and like they've seen it too they've heard it they've like lived with all of these stigmas and stuff for forever so I think it was a good reminder from both Samaya and Taylor and Amaha um, to be gentle not with just myself but with other people yeah I always come back to <laughs> this memory that I've
3: probably told everybody, um, and I'll tell you, Nicole. Um, when I was younger, so a couple things, you know, and kids say really dumb, dumb shit. We know kids say dumb stuff, but sometimes kids can also say the truth. And I, this is just to show you, sort of, my frame of mind and conditioning. Um, I said once, I don't understand why people have depression, experience depression. Why can't you just be happy? Why can't you just smile? And my sister was like, you're an idiot. (laughs) You know, she really, she gave it to me. She was honest. She was like, Taylor, it doesn't work that way. And my brain at that time was like, I just don't get it. Like people, why can't you just be happy? And obviously it only took, you know, years later for me to have to go through my own depression and work through that for me to... You know? And same thing with being gay. Same thing. I thought, oh, well, when I was a kid, I thought, oh, I love, I, I love my child, but I couldn't attend their wedding. That's what I said. I would love my child if they're gay, but I couldn't attend their wedding. Wow. Look at me now, you know, like <laughs> I was just going to say that. I just think about, like, I just think obviously kids, you know, kids, we, when we think of children, we think growth, right? They're growing and learning so much and changing so much. So it makes sense for you to say stupid things and whatever but it's hard to see, you know, give yourself space and time to grow in the moment and give that space and time for the people around you. That being said, you always have to protect your growth. You have to protect your sense of self. Mm -hmm. You have to protect, you know, so sometimes that doesn't happen with all the people, right? You need to have your, your moment to get there and somebody else might take longer. Somebody else might do it faster,
2: Mm -hmm. but while you were talking to it made me think of kind of what maha was saying as well and then also the fact that you also went to the catholic school because like a big part of me thinking um forcing myself to be straight until i was 20 um was that i went to catholic school was that like we were told it wasn't okay right mhm so something that i've
0: been talking to taylor about recently we've had like three or four conversations about this actually um is like the whole concept of organized religion versus faith and like if queer muslims are creating our own communities and our own ways of practicing islam and being in the world surely that's another form of organized religion if we're all organizing together um but taylor can you explain why that necessarily is not the case well,
3: <laughs> I got a little passionate today earlier. Maha and I spent a couple hours outside and it was glorious until it got too cold. Um, but I got a little passionate because everything that we do religiously, all of, all of the ways that we practice, it is interpretive, right? Like every, all the different denominations, all the different sects, the reason they exist in any religion is because there is no one way to read the book there's no one way and that people will emphasize different aspects of religion based on culture based on you know what you're going through based on who the people around you are like that is what the point of religious is religion is like depending on what your message
2: is right like, you're right
3: exactly interpret it differently that's and that's and that's what i think like that's where i get to the heart of understanding like a queer like queering religion versus organized religion and how spirituality also can play into that is because for me, organized religion is practice a practice of a uh, very regimented and schemized understanding of a religion, and that's just it. You are supposed to, this is how you learn it, this is how you practice it. You know, some religions encourage questioning, some don't, but you come back to this. If you believe in this, you are this religion and you practice in this way. Whereas for me, queering religion is a practice that recognizes the point of hermeneutics, the point of, you know, reading the Bible and understanding it for you and your community and what it means. and. Also, in reading the Bible, recognizing that it is a book that is interpreted. We all interpret, or if we're not talking about the Bible, we're talking about the Quran. Any religious text. these are books that have been interpreted, right? To us, and also we interpret to ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: Well, I was going to say, and also, like, A, they're usually written by men, but, like, none of these books, like, you cannot expect your millions of followers in these religions to all interpret and understand a book in the same way. And you were talking about things, like, within uh, Catholicism, like, my school is the Crusaders. Why are we sitting there trying to pretend like that's a good thing? Right, right. It's a weird interpretation like why are you like literally the phrase was once a crusader always a crusader and I was like do we not realize how fucked up that is yeah so it 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 gets me because and I think
3: that's why for me I don't see queering religion as like I can't see it as an organized practice because I recognize and I think we all recognize how because of who we are and how different we are as people because of our different experiences because of how we interpret the world differently how we process information differently literally how our brains are wired all of these things were if you are a religious person believe you believe god created right god created this diversity god created us to to be who we are and to come to some form of understanding and message in relation to god and How on earth can we all practice
0: that the same if we are not the same people, Mm -hmm. right? This makes me think a lot about like how Islam is, or at least the way I was taught Islam is like, it's supposed to be a religion for all the people for all time. I'm like, sure, like cool. But um, relationships with texts change over time and space. Just like you were saying, like every reading is an interpretation. Every translation is an interpretation every single thing is subjective. There's no such thing as objectivity. How you make
3: sense of it is based on who you are.
0: Yeah. right. How you've learned to make sense of these these words and this message, right? Yeah, and like um, religion is inherently political, even if like there's no such thing as an interpretation that's not an interpretation, regardless of the fact of whether or not you want to admit you're interpreting something. If you claim that you have the only way, the right way, that's an interpretation, right? Um, and like, it's always a lifelong goal of understanding and questioning and changing your practices based on the histories and the presence of what you've been told and like what you're learning. It's always a continuous process, the way we want to engage with the text, the religious text. And like, like you said before, Taylor, when we were talking earlier, Um, the people who insist on sameness have done the most harm,
3: Mm.
0: right? Um, The crusaders. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you say. That even makes me think of, like, the Audre Lorde reading um, on, like, difference or, or like, how a lot of white people are so afraid to claim or, like, to recognize difference because difference makes – difference unsettles the norm, right? Like, difference – the existence of differences – shows that the norm is not the norm right so that's threatening to people in power so yeah I also wanted to talk about the poem or the excerpt of the poem that I've read out um Mm -hmm. specifically like the whole concept of like communal dreaming um I think the poem exhibits like because it's not just a poem, it's also a performance piece. If you look at the text, um, it's like, it's got show notes, um, it's ready to be performed. Um, and in this performance piece, while um, Lea is performing, there's a slideshow in the back of like images of home, images taken from like heterosexual couples from their high school who got married and also like queer families and, different houses and whatever images of home that they came up with right and so the performance piece itself is a practice of communal dreaming by engaging with an audience by asking questions by naming shared raw fears and desires of like what will my futures look like what will our futures look like can we have futures while these images of home are playing in the background um There's an Instagram post circulating by Anika Izora about communal dreaming, where they explain dreaming as a method of envisioning beyond what no longer serves us. So it's like, we need to imagine our futures by or because of how we critique the present. Um, There's a base, there's a grounding in how we start to dream, if that makes sense. No, can you explain Yeah, like, we base our ideas of what we want in the future based on what we don't want in the present. What we, what is wrong with the present, because the present is not enough for us, for queer folks, for queer Muslims, for marginalized folks in any capacity. Um, The present is not okay. The present is not enough. And so to move forward beyond the present, we need to critique the present and think about so mobilizing from the present to create our futures if Mm. that makes sense yeah yeah also when we were talking about me and Samaya when we were talking about violence in relation to Islam I just want to reiterate that like organized Islam has been used as a means to control through fear-based approaches like the ones we were talking about and the spread of Wahhabism right such as the use of Islamic nationalism by the Pakistani nation state in its institutionalization of sectarian violence. And so like when organized religion is used as a means to oppress folks who don't practice the exact same way that you're supposed to practice uh, with regards to like state-sanctioned ideologies and ways of practicing, mm-hmm. you know that's fucked up. And that instills a lot of trauma, just like Samaya was talking about, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: I guess the one thing that for me is, what you say, what you do, matters. It matters. You can't say, I'm reading scripture, and this is what it says, and this is how I respond. And so I am, you know, this is what it is. In I'm fact, not responsible for I am my not responsible for my, for my actions or the violence that I cause. Quite opposite. You are quite responsible for your actions. And that's the point of scripture, right? So for us to understand what does it mean for us to be, to do these things, and love each other.
2: Just, you're allowed to critique the things that you read and then find new interpretations. That's why it exists, right? And that's why, like, queering these things also exists, like, to find new interpretations and to work on yourself as a person. But if you're just gonna sit there and say, the Bible told me, then you're not gonna learn anything. What's the point? What's the point of the Bible? What was the point of, you know, the prophet's life? Like, what was the fucking point if you're just gonna read a book and not? do any of the critical thinking that the book requires of you? I think that's the
3: whole point of querying religion. Like it's not something that becomes ever or should not ever become a stagnant practice, right? Like it can't, that's not the point. The point, the whole point of, of this is the book stands for example, the Quran stands forever, right? Like it it exists forever It, it and that, and thus, We as humans who are, will change and develop and and evolve, we know this, must find meaning, find guidance, find, make that, you know, find God, right? By reading the book, that's the point.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Queer Muslim Resistance. You can find us on Instagram at Queer Muslim Resistance and email us at QueerMuslimResistance at gmail.com if you have any questions, inquiries, resources to add to the Google Drive or if you want to be on the podcast.